welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 16th of June 2013, entitled, As Goes the Heart, So Goes the Home. And the Bible reading is taken from Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. We're going to take our reading this morning, first of all, from the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, chapter 4. Verses 1 through 6. Matter of fact, the last six verses of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy word. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. The day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Ye shall tread down the wicked, and they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. And the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse." Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the wonderful, glorious privilege that we have of being called your children. Father, thank you that we can gather in this, your house today, as part of your family, Lord. As we come together here today, Lord, I trust and pray that, Lord, all that's been said, every song that's been sung has brought glory and honor to you. And now, Lord, as we turn into your word, we thank you, Lord that you've seen fit to preserve it for us these many years, and, Lord, that through the power of your Spirit that lives within us, that we can have understanding. And, Lord, that you can see the hearts of each one that is here this morning, and you know the needs of everyone. And, Father, we fully admit that with us it is impossible. There is nothing that we can do. But, Father, we pray that through the power of your Spirit, for your glory and your glory alone, that you would touch each heart, that you would speak to each heart, the very words that need to find that resting place there today, Lord, and help us, Lord, not only to be hearers but doers. Help us, Lord, not only to hear what you have to say for us, but to respond in whatever way we need. And we give you all the praise for it. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. An interesting close to the end of the Old Testament the last words that God was to speak to man and record in his word for some 400 years before that we would have the beginning of what we know as our New Testament. And, of course, it closes with this emphasis upon the day of the Lord and his return. It closes with the Lord coming, and, of course, we find here both judgment and blessing. I know. 
It is hard sometimes. It's hard to get our head around the, the judgment side. But judgment is coming. Whether it's comfortable, whether we believe it, whether we accept it, it's coming. And that's the only way, the only way that sin can ever be judged and put away forever and to stop the consequences of it. We find that all verse 2, <laughs> to them that fear his name. There's going to be, it says, healing in his wings. He said, you go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. I don't know how many of you have been on a farm before and you know what happens to a calf when he's been locked up in a stall for some period of time and he's suddenly let, let go? He just goes crazy. You know, a dog will do the same thing. You keep an animal locked up and, and confined and suddenly he's out in the open and, and he's just jumping and he's happy and he's free. That's the way it's going to be for us. You see, we're going to be set free from the curse of this sin, from all the, the consequences of sin that are around us all the time. We're going to be free from his temptations. <laughs> We're going to be free from all of those battles. And of course, he goes on and he, again in verse 3, he reminds them that yes, there will be destruction. That's the consequences of sin. Sin will be destroyed. He likens it to ashes under our feet. <laughs> we that are his. But then he takes us back and he Ask them to remember the law of Moses that, that was given. And, of course, he makes this promise that he talks about as we look back and remember that. It says, when he said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Verse 6 is what we're taking for our text this morning. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. We also find that if you look over just a few pages in your Bible into the New Testament, into the Gospel of Luke, he tells us there in Luke chapter 1, Verse 16 and 17, it says, And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, the same as Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord prepared for the Lord. It's Father's Day. Now, I've heard it said, and I can kind of relate to it, that by the time that a man is old enough to recognize that his father was right, <laughs> he's probably by then got his own son that he's wrong. <laughs> And we seem to go through this vicious cycle over and over and over again. It is Father's Day, a day that is set aside to honor that man called father, dad, daddy, papa, whatever that we might call him in this life. 
He's kind of a unique individual because he starts out as the strongest and smartest guy in all the world. I mean, he can do anything. And he can do it faster than anybody else. And he can fix anything. And he can beat anybody at anything. Why, Superman doesn't hold a stick to this guy. But then somehow, kind of mysteriously over the years, he gets weaker. He begins to lose his strength. He gets less smart all the time. Until by the teenage years, he doesn't know much of anything, amazingly. And then as you make that move into adulthood, he usually starts getting smarter again. He actually uh, is one person in all the world that you can count on to go to for advice, for help, for cash. <laughs> that kind of always seems to stay in there. Sometimes even just, just for a hug. Until that day comes when he's no longer there. He's gone. You just kind of wish so many times that you could go to him, that, that you could go and you could ask that question, that there was some way that you could see him again because nobody quite takes his place. There's a lot of love, but nobody quite takes his place. And, of course, there's some of us here this morning that know that feeling. There's a uniqueness to this father and child relationship. It's something that, that, that runs deep, that, that touches the very center of our lives, sometimes for good, unfortunately, sometimes for bad. You see, it affects not only our lives, but it affects our relationships with most of the other people around us as well. A good relationship with a father will have a, a positive effect but just as often a bad one can have negative effects. A good relationship with a father can, can give you stability through those really rough seas and storms many times when you have to face them, but it can also bring a heartload of pain that just chips away at your joy, your happiness, your peace. But you know, it's directly related because that's also the power of the father-child relationship that we've been singing about this morning with our, with our Father in heaven, with his world. You see, the kind of relationship that we have with our heavenly Father will also, more than any other relationship in the world, have a definite effect on all of our other relationships. Whether we realize it, whether we admit it, it doesn't change the fact. Just like with the judgment, it's there. It's a fact. Now, we've read here in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. You see, we have this Jewish, this, this Hebrew prophet. Now, he obviously recognized the power of this, 
father relationship. At the time that he's ministering to the Jewish people here, he was about 100 years after the Jews had returned from their captivity. He was preaching to a people that when they returned, they rebuilt the temple, this glorious edifice, this place that they could go and, and meet with God. But they failed to rebuild their lives. They built the building, but the priesthood was corrupt. Worship had become something that was just routine and, and ritualistic. Divorce was widespread. Social justice was being ignored completely. We just found in the last chapter also that they quit giving. Tithing was being completely neglected. The truth is that Malachi had no shortage of sins in order to preach against. It's funny, sometimes we think that we're the only ones that live in bad times. That we're the only ones that live in bad days. But right in the midst of this kind of a world that he was present in, that we can in so many ways see similarities to, to the world around us. I, I just heard on one of the news programs about a week or two weeks back that for the first time in history that we'd actually surpassed the point to where that there's more children that don't have fathers than do have fathers living with them in this country now. The homes are breaking up. Why? Well, I can tell you that in the midst of all this world at that time, the last words a person speaks are usually pretty important. You know, Jesus gave us his last words in commissioning us to go ahead and continue the work that he had come to do. That was the most important thing that he wanted to leave with us when he left this world because of his love for the world, because he'd come to, to die for this world. He wanted us to, to go to that world. We find that even a convicted felon, they'll normally give him the opportunity, do you have any last words before he leaves this world? Well, the last words of this prophecy, and if you would, the last words of God. For over 400 years following this, there would be silence. Was to talk about the relationship of fathers and children. Amazing. Right in the midst of telling us and showing us to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. That's the last words found on the final page in the final verse of the Old Testament in your Bible. We know. We know without any shadow of a doubt in the context here that he's talking about this time preceding the coming of the Lord. Now, you can read a lot of commentaries. Sometimes that's good and sometimes it's not so good. <laughs> There's a lot of debate that, that takes place over this, this passage in God's Word as to what time is he talking about? What coming? Was it the first advent of Christ into this world or his second advent? What is he talking about here that this would take place? Well, 
people will probably keep debating. Turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Let me just read you a few verses from the Bible. Was this speaking of the coming of Christ when he came into this world to die on the cross? Was it speaking of Christ when he comes to set up his kingdom upon this earth? Well, the Bible says in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was the daughters of Aaron, being in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless, as they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the, multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense, and there appeared unto him, unto Zacharias, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. And the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You know, just reading that, you can understand why that some would say, well, that was the fulfillment of that passage. The Bible itself talks about this one that we know as John the Baptist coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah himself. What was the prophecy in Malachi? To turn the hearts, oh, of the fathers. Well, look over just a bit further in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And notice what it says here, beginning in verse 19. John chapter 1, verse 19 says, And this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? Here's all the religious people now, the religious leaders of the day. They've been sent to find out who in the world this guy is. And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Okay? And they ask him, what then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. 
Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. In other words, what John said, I'm not Jesus Christ, that's for sure, and I'm not Elijah, but I'm like Elijah. <laughs> I'm coming with the same message that Elijah did. I'm coming in the spirit of Elijah. I'm coming in the same power as Elijah. He is a type of Elijah in the New Testament. Turn back just a few pages to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. He's saying, preacher, what has all this got to do with Father's Day? Turning the hearts of the children to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the children. As we look at these verses, if you would, it's, it's like, you know, instead of having three beautiful points, it's like a single point sermon this morning. As the heart, as goes the heart, so goes the home. Matthew chapter 11 the Bible says, beginning in verse 7, this is Jesus Christ himself. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning who? John. This is what Jesus had to say about him. What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? <laughs> Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if ye will receive it, listen, this is Elias, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus said, you know, he's never made any bones that it was Elias in the flesh. <laughs> but Jesus himself, like as he said, this is what we said was going to happen. This is the Elijah that we said was going to come. He goes on. He says, but whereunto Shall I liken this generation? <laughs> it is likened to children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you. Ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you. Ye have not lamented. For John can ne came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, He hath a devil. <laughs> the son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. 
with the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted into heaven, shall be brought down to hell with the mighty works which have been done in thee, have been done in Sodom. It would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. He gives that great invitation, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am weak and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. With a wicked generation, the big religious leaders of the day, the ones that were supposed to be the leaders, Jesus tells them they're a bunch of hypocrites. Notice just a few pages over in chapter 17. Notice what it says here. Chapter 17. It says, After six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with them. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. We find that the scriptures are clear. John the Baptist was a type of Elijah, an Elijah-like prophet, and he came before Christ's first advent. And though some accepted it, most rejected him. Most rejected him. They rejected their king. He was there in their midst. 
And as we read through through these Bibles, we find that because of that rejection, another would be sent, another Elijah-like prophet, maybe even Elijah himself. What I want you to grasp here is let's just take the Word of God. I mean, there is no question that the Bible refers to John the Baptist as being that Elijah that was prophesied in Malachi as the Bible came to a close. But, but because of their rejection, there was a curse that was going to come. He was going to send another. Revelation chapter 11, we read about that one. Revelation chapter 11. Notice what the Word of God says here. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all the plagues as often as they will. When they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. They of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. They that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. After three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. They ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. In the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. The seventh angel sounded, and there was a great voice in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and its reign. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the debt, the time of the dead that they should be judged, that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. The temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temples the ark of his testament. There was lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hell. We cannot doubt that that was directly related to what the prophet Malachi was prophesying. You say, Preacher, you're contradicting yourself. You're saying it was fulfilled in John the Baptist, but you're saying it's going to be 
fulfilled again, most think in the two witnesses that we're reading about right here. We find that there again. Is it literally, physically, Moses and Elijah? I don't know. I don't know, but I know that it's going to be the same message. It's going to be God using his servant, and I think that it probably will be. <laughs> you see, we need to turn our attention and recognize that all that's being spoken here is being spoken of and being prepared for the Lord's coming, to be prepared, to be ready. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before them in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. If John's job was to point people to Jesus, the Messiah, what does knowing Jesus have to do with this relationship of turning the hearts of the children to the fathers and turning the hearts of the fathers to the children? What way does pointing people to Jesus affect that? I'm going to do something different probably never done this exactly this way before. And I'm not an actor, so I'm not even going to try to act. But I'm going to sit down. And I'm going to introduce you to a friend of mine. And his name is Abraham. Not the one that's Abraham, the father of the nations, but Abraham. We're going to travel back some 2,000 years ago. What would it have been like to be sitting there, if this, this, this turning the hearts of the children to the father and the fathers to the children, and, and, and all this is, is, is it being ready for the Lord coming back to us? How does that work? Well, I ask, well, what would it have been like to have been under the preaching of John the Baptist? <laughs> he was a strange character. You know, I mean, you've got to look at all, all of the religious people of the day. You know, there was, a, there was a proper way to dress, proper attire to wear. This guy comes, man, oh, man, what is he wearing? I mean, he is a rough-looking character. They've all got these nice places to worship in. He's out there in the open air shouting it up. What would it have been like? I don't want you just, just to listen for a moment. I'm not going to try to, uh, to act it out, but I want you just to listen to the words of what it might have been for somebody to be there. Did I hear somebody say there's a question about something John the Baptist preached? Like we see on the screen above. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Well, I was in the crowd the day he preached that sermon. It was just a little over three years ago. I'll never forget his words. I've come to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. My name is Abraham. I'm Abraham Cohen, father of two teenagers, 
teenagers that eat a lot, talk a lot. <laughs> I live just outside the city of Jericho with my wife, Hannah, my son, Benjamin, and my daughter, Rachel. I'm not proud to tell you that on the day I heard that sermon about turning hearts, my heart had turned away from my two teenage children, and their hearts had turned away from me. Our relationship had been strained ever since they became old enough to realize I wasn't the hero they earlier thought me to be. As a matter of fact, Hannah's words, my wife, from that difficult conversation earlier that week were still ringing in my ears. Abraham, honestly, sometimes it seems that you just look for excuses so you don't have to spend time with your children. You rarely talk to them. Your anger is just unpredictable. Sometimes they're afraid to actually talk to you. Abraham, this is a critical time for our children. They're going to be gone from home soon. They need you. Hannah, what more can I be expected to do? I work myself weary to put food on the table. I've provided a good education for them. Abraham, when will you understand? They don't want yours. They want you. Hannah, when will you understand? I'm just, I'm not good at relationships. Maybe if my father had ever spent any time with me, I'd know better what I'm supposed to do. There you go again, blaming your father. How could a man you haven't spoken to in 25 years possibly be at fault for this? You see, our generation has in many ways become the fulfillment of Malachi's chilling prophecy four centuries earlier. To look upon our families at synagogue, sitting attentively for the reading of the Torah, everything looking normal. But if you could look upon our hearts as we sit there or peek into our homes later that day, you would see so much anger, so much pain, so much brokenness. In my youth, my own father was warm and sociable at synagogue, but cool and distant in our home. I felt I could never please him. And his angry, demeaning words cut deep wounds upon my heart. After a while, those wounds turned into scars, and those scars left my heart that was once tender just calloused with hatred. I said it didn't matter. I didn't need him anyway. I'd prove it by setting out on my own and never looking back. How sad it was for me when all those years later, I realized that I had become to my children the very things I despised about my father. It wasn't hard to imagine that things might break down completely in our society, that God really would come smite the earth with a curse. He would come and judge us for a, our hardness and our hypocrisy. But then, John exploded onto the scene. He was so different from our religious leaders. He pushed them way out of their comfort zone. I mean, who ever heard of a camel hair coat on a theology teacher? It was outrageous. 
And he certainly wasn't very scrupulous about his diet, locust and wild honey. Although somebody told me if you season it just right, that locust tastes kind of like chicken. John's preaching was so huge, so fiery, it wouldn't have been safe to try and confine one of his sermons to a building. No, you had to stand out under the starry twilight to hear what John had to say, and that voice crying out, bouncing off the rocky landscape, he would just go right through you. John the Baptist was a warrior. He preached against sins which had long been accepted as part of the fabric of our culture that made lots of people very angry. And John was a poet. He talked in pictures. Axes laid to the root of trees, a brood of serpents, baptism by fire. He really evoked some powerful images, a warrior poet. <laughs> the day I heard John preach that sermon about turning hearts, I, I stood close enough to, to see his face. I saw in his face a strength so forceful that it frightened me, but also saw in his eyes a love so genuine it was unlike any love I'd ever experienced. I'd never seen that kind of love in the face of my father, and I certainly had not shown such a love to my children. John explained that the reason people are not able to love each other the right way is that they do not have a right relationship with the true God. He said that once you have the vertical relationship right, then horizontal relationships tend to, to take care of themselves. John's preaching always convicted me. <laughs> The sins he named always included some of mine, but his preaching also comforted me. I began to almost hope that things could be different in my life if I just had the right relationship with God. I couldn't stop listening. Well, I kept listening to John's voice. I was listening the day he pointed to Jesus, the great teacher from Nazareth, and shouted, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I came to understand that John was pointing me to Jesus as the only hope for me to have a right relationship with God. He was pointing me to Jesus as the God who would change my heart toward my father and change my heart toward my children. Finally, I understood the lesson that John had proclaimed in that sermon about turning hearts when you open your heart to Jesus as Messiah. He opens your heart so you can really love your loved ones. It was only a year or so later that John had his appointment with Herod's executioner. He died with courage and conviction. I continued to follow Jesus and listen to his teaching. One day the master made a statement that at first I, I heard it to be a contradiction of what John had taught me. Matthew 10, verses 34 and 35, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Eventually, I understood that John and Jesus did not contradict each other. John promised that coming to Jesus will change your heart towards your loved ones. Jesus was reminding us that we have no guarantee that this will change the hearts of our loved ones toward us or toward him. That is exactly what happened in my story.
after I began to believe in Jesus, I went to my wife and children and humbled myself. I confessed my anger, my silence, my avoidance of them. I asked them to forgive me. Graciously, they all did. They also became followers of Jesus. We're learning together just how Jesus has opened our hearts toward one another. Jesus was taken up from us about a year ago. Several months later, I decided it was finally time to set things right with my father. I went to him and I told him I'd been forgiven by God and I'd become a follower of the risen Lord. I told him that God was willing to forgive him for all the sins of his life, including his sins against me. I told him I was willing to forgive him also, that I'd already done so in my heart. I thought I saw a mist in his eyes, but he quickly covered this with anger. He said he would expect such nonsense from a weak person like me. Then he announced his plans to have a funeral for me and my family. Many months have passed and still not a word from my father. And yet, my heart is still open toward him. I don't hate him. I pray for him. I'm willing and ready to forgive him. So now I know John's sermon was right. When you know Jesus, he really does open your heart to love your loved ones. John's words are still pointing people to Jesus all over our country, and we're seeing some miracles happen. It wouldn't surprise me if for many generations to come, John's legacy will still cry out about Jesus to fathers and children lost in the wilderness of life, and I know that when they come to Jesus, he'll open their hearts to share the love which only he can give. You see, we talk many times about it's always a heart matter with God. It's always a heart matter with God. God sent his prophets. God sent his son. And part of our preparation and being prepared for Christ to come for us again is that our hearts be turned. The children's to the fathers, the fathers to the children's. I give you this in closing today. Will you turn your heart to the Father? First of all, the Heavenly Father. We've seen in all these readings, there's only one way to the Father's heart. You can only get to the Father through His Son. It's the only way there. There's no other way to get to His heart. See, that was Elijah's message. That was Malachi's message. That was John the Baptist's message. That was the message of the Old Testament, the message of the New Testament. It was and is and always will be the message from God, from His messengers, from His precious Holy Word. When you've turned your heart to the Heavenly Father, then you'll be able to turn your heart to your earthly father. When your relationship is right with the heavenly father, then at least there's hope for the relationship with your earthly father. When that relationship is right with your heavenly father, then will you turn your heart to your family? Will you love them in the same way that God loves you? Will you love them with that same kind of love that we've tried to sing about this morning? 
It's so big we can't describe it. We can't plain it. That, that love, that no matter what you do, you can't make him stop loving you. No matter how horrible your sins, no matter how big they are, you can't make him love you any less. He just loves you so much that he was willing to die for you. But you see, our problem is our heart conditions. Kind of like the synagogues, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, we look at them, we, we read about them in Scripture. We come into our places, our buildings. We play church. We go about our routine. We go through our rituals. Some of it we like and some of it we don't like. Some we like more, some we like less. You see, as goes the heart, so goes the home. Whether it's God's family or whether it's your family, will you turn your heart to the Father? Will you turn your heart to your family? Will you turn your heart to your friends? You see, we make a joke of friendship. You know how precious it is to have a real friend? Somebody that's always there, somebody that will always care. You can never really love them in that unqualified way that God loves them until your relationship with the Father is as it should be. Will you turn your heart to the Father, to the family, to the friends? Today, will you turn your heart to the fields, the fields of service? <laughs> Who are we trying to kid? How much time does God really have of ours? How much are we willing to give him? How much of it is more important to do all the things we want to do? Service and to the sinners. He loved them so much. <laughs> he came and did everything he did to die for them. Boy. We could turn our hearts to where we felt about them the way that he does. For we had the compassion that he's got. Who are we kidding? You see, I fully understand we still live in days when most people would go and, and rather sit down somewhere and listen to a nice, comfortable sermon for somebody that ticks all the boxes of the way that we as Christians are supposed to be doing it in the order and the style that they think it should be. We're playing. I want to tell you something. When John the Baptist came on the scene, there was nobody that looked at this guy. How could God use a guy like that? Probably saw him as some Tarzan of the jungle. Where are we at today? Because we'll never have the homes we need to have until we have the hearts we need to have. All of this, there's so much we can look at, but I just want you to understand today, as goes your heart, so goes your home. As goes our home, so goes our churches. And as goes our churches, so goes our nation. It begins with each and every one of us. It's the same message that Elijah preached, that Malachi preached, that John the Baptist preached. It's the same message we need today on this Father's Day. Even though we're 20 centuries removed 
from that original sermon that John the Baptist preached. You know what? John's voice is still calling in the wilderness today. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away your sin. Behold, the Lamb of God, who gives you hope when there's only hurting. Behold, the Lamb of God, who opens your heart to love your father, to love your wife, to love your daughter, to love your son. Behold, the Lamb of God. You don't have to do it alone. You can't, just as our friend Abraham, you can't guarantee how anybody else will respond, but it's going to start individually when our relationship with our Heavenly Father is as it needs to be, which is only through the Lamb of God that that can be resolved. Only then do we have hope for our other relationships, for our homes in this world that we live in today. Father, I thank you. I know, Lord, that I can't even begin to get across this morning what you've spoken to my own heart in these verses and this message in these last days. Lord, it all comes back to our hearts. As goes the heart, so goes the home. Our homes will never be what they need to be. Consequently, our churches, our nation, none of it will be what it needs to be until our relationship with our Father, our Father in heaven, first of all. Lord, until that's what it needs to be, all others are going to suffer. You know the hearts of each one here this morning. You know what each one needs. Lord, you know how I struggled with this message. Father, you know who needed it this morning. But I pray now, help us not to respond the way that the people did in Malachi's day. Help us not to respond the way that they did in John the Baptist's day. Help us, Lord. Help us to open our ears and our hearts and listen to what you have for us. May it make a difference in our lives, not just as something else that we've heard and put aside. May it change our lives forever. Help us today. Help us to do whatever we need to do that our relationships with our Heavenly Father can be what they need to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.